0: Amen. Woo! You guys feeling that this morning? I had a, um, there's a, there's a Bible teacher who I heard once say, what is that feeling that we have when we, when we worship together? Because we know that God is present with us everywhere, so if we say God's presence isn't, you know, how do we understand that feeling? And he was like, it's almost like each of us as believers is like a little charcoal briquette. <laughs> you know, we got, little, we got a little flame, but when you put them together, that's when you really feel sort of you know, the heat, the fire kind of comes together. And that's, I love to think about, I think of our communal worship that way. It's not that God is more here, it's just there's something spiritual that happens when you kind of bring all of our charcoal together, right? And we sort of light this thing on fire. So that's really fun, really fun. My name's Nicole Eunice, everyone. I'm part of the team here at Hill City, and I'm so glad to be bringing you the message this morning as we continue in our series on Revelation. Ooh. I'm like, Revelation is the only book in Scripture that has, like, a rep. Like, people, like, know things about it before they get to it, right? And, and depending on if you grew up in church or not. If you didn't grow up in church, you're like, what is she talking about? Just tune out. I'll tell you when to come back. If you grew up in church, there's sort of two ways to see Revelation. Either it was kind of overinterpreted, and it becomes, like, even though we see the rest of the Bible as it's, it's a whole, right, somehow Revelation becomes, like, an entity in itself that's got, like, mysteries and, and clues in it or it was completely underinterpreted and we just never heard anything about it and it just became it's like a mysterious last book in the bible so we're trying to we're trying to reframe how we can read revelation how we can understand revelation and any time you feel that way about any aspect of the church, of Jesus, of the Bible, I wanna encourage you to just always go back to the source. That's why we're really serious about being students of the word here. This is why we do discipleship, why we invite you in, because you just you wanna go back to the source when you're not sure where all of this is coming from. So even as I was getting ready for today, we're gonna to be in Revelation three today, but I went back to the source, right? And I went back to the beginning of the book, and I'm like, okay, how does this book get set up for us? And listen to these words, This is the New Living Translation in uh, Revelation 1, 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Okay, so it's a win-win situation here. God blesses those who give the message. God blesses those who hear the message. So as we enter into this, and we've had some sort of uncomfortable topics about the way we view our culture and our world, know that it's all under this, this blessing. It's all under this idea that this is meant to edify. This is meant to lift us up, not tear us down. So that's why kind of in this whole series, we've said, stay grounded, the gospel works. Revelation one is the gospel. It starts off saying this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who holds the keys of death in his hand. It's Jesus majestic, it's Jesus lifted up. And then when we get into what Jesus is saying to the churches, we wanna make sure we do that all under this understanding that God is blessing us as we receive this, that Jesus is on the throne, he's holding the keys of death, he is in control, And now he's gonna give us a word to us as churches. So what we're gonna hear and what we've been doing this whole time is talking about these seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus addresses in this time. So little context, if you've missed a few weeks or, or you're new with us, this is about believers at the very beginning of the church. This is the church just beginning to spread. The church has multiplied throughout all of sort of the Near East and it's gone out to these places and now Jesus is giving sort of A coaching, a pep talk, depending on which church it is, he's giving a word into their culture, into what they speak. But because of what we heard in Revelation 1, what we know is this is also still a word for us today. Super interesting, too, that as we go through these different cities, which were real places, real historical places that we can understand, a lot of them really are cities. They're quite cosmopolitan at the time. like They very much are these wealthy places where there would be a lot of power, a lot of money, a lot of education, and so we're not talking about like a a far-off, distant, different experience, although those places, of course, are those things. We're also talking about places like Richmond, a river city with a lot of history and a lot of trade and a lot of culture. That's the same kind of church that we're talking about today when we talk about the church at Sardis, which is our church for today. So. That's where we are. We're going to hear these words, not relevant just for then, but also relevant for now. And this passage to the church is going to be the next one that Jesus has in this line that we've been listening to. So let's take a look at the words. First thing is, let's start at the end. At the end, it says, whoever has ears to hear. So we keep hearing this whole concept. If you guys remember, when we taught the parables, when Jesus used to tell stories, he would always say, whoever has ears to hear. So step one is that this is an invitation in. You have to decide right now, yes, this is relevant to me. Yes, this is important because it's very easy to miss it, right? So every time Jesus speaks, he's like, hey, if you have ears to hear this, there's going to be something here for you today. So let's take a look at this passage. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Okay, so let's start with a word overall, not happy times. In other churches that we've talked about, there's been like encouragement at the beginning and then an admonishment, and here Jesus goes right in and says these very, very poignant words. You have a reputation of being a certain way, but that is not the way that you actually are. You are riding on what you were before, and what I can see when I look into you is that that is no longer the case. These are not happy times. There's nothing encouraging that Jesus says as he speaks into their spiritual condition. I think it's very interesting that he talks about being alive but now you are dead because the way Jesus always talks is that he's the one who can make dead things alive. So we've got this ultimate reversal of what Jesus is actually about. Jesus is like, I'm about bringing life and sending life and breathing life and I'm telling you that you're acting like you're alive but you're not. So at the end of the day what we have here is a problem of authenticity we have a mismatch between what the reputation is, what's being seen, what's being shown, and what the reality actually is. So the question for us really is how, could we, how do we engage this idea? How do we engage this idea when we sing songs about like goodbye guilt, goodbye shame? You know, We're all about talking about like you are loved, you're accepted, you have an identity in Christ, and then we've got this like other thing that happens in the Bible, right? these these strong words that are like hey you're dead like bring it you know get it together wake up you're like how do you do that and that at the same time and a lot of times our culture will also swing wildly left and right in that way where it's like well am I am I good am I accepted am I okay or or do I need to wake up and I'm dead and my deeds don't align like where what is the in-between and a lot of us want to avoid this because on some level some of us have just never experienced, conviction of, at all like this about the Bible. depends on where you are in your faith. Um, we've never really thought much about like a misalignment with our behavior and with our belief. and It just isn't something that comes up very much, right? For other, others of us, we're just on overdrive when it comes to thinking about our behaviors and our beliefs and our misalignment. So what I want us to talk about today really is this idea of guilt and conviction And what does it mean to be convicted, like sort of in the way that Jesus is admonishing this church when he's saying, hey, there are things that you are doing that you're not doing anymore, and there's ways that you seem alive where you're actually dead, and I'm telling you that you need to wake up, wake up and strengthen what is actually there. So I think I want to get us there towards this message, right, of conviction by just Doing a little interactive church to start, if you guys are up for that. So, this, if you've got a little piece of paper or you have your phone, you know, jo- John's been encouraging you this way as well. If you want to take a note, this would be your opportunity to take a note, okay? So, we're just going to do a little audit, just a personal audit to try to understand how do I align with my conviction around who I am? And if I looked at my life, what that looks like, okay? So, we're just going to talk about like, what do I care about, okay? Um, Here's care. Care is where I devote time, attention, and resources, okay? So when I say what do I care about, there feels like there's an emotional connection to that, so if you need to just, don't put that word there, just say what do I spend time, attention, and resources on? Okay, so I'm gonna give you a little interactive church. You can write on a scale of one to 10, 10 being very much, one not at all. How much do I care about my career and where it's headed? How much time, attention, and resources do I spend on my career and where it's headed? How much do I care about my partner, my family, or my lack of relationship status the way I want it to be? Time, attention, resources. How much do I care about my bank account? My saving for the future, my bills that are due this month. How much time, attention, resources do I spend on that? Election 2024. How much time, attention, resources, what I'm, wear, what I'm wearing right now, like how I look, how much time, attention, resources I spend on that. Okay, so we've got, got an understanding, a little audit on just daily life. Here's a few more. How much do I care about the way my daily attitude and outlook reflect Christ? How much time, attention, resources do I spend on how my words are intentionally encouraging or building others up? How much time, attention, resources do I spend on the way my finances align with God's command of generosity? How much time, attention, resources on showing up like Christ to the people who live in my neighborhood who go to my school, or who work with me. Finally, time, attention, resources, on the poor, the widow, the orphan among us, which generally speaking, to me, this is those without relational bonds, and those without financial support of family. Does anyone feel uncomfortable? Okay, good, I want you to feel uncomfortable, okay? And the reason I want you to feel uncomfortable is because I know that you think about these things, And and like we don't, we just don't like like we don't like uncomfortable feelings. So this is a this is a vicarious experience that we're going to work through together, where it's like, ugh. Okay, now I don't, I I just I don't feel great. Um, Some of those things, maybe 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 you feel great. Maybe you're like, wow, I've done a lot of work, and I really feel like I'm aligning my life behind what Jesus cares about, and that's awesome. For some of us, we just realize like, oh yeah, I mean, there's probably some numbers on here that represent like something I care probably too much about. And there's definitely numbers on here that represent something I I wish I cared about, but when I say time, attention, resources, probably not, probably not the same. And so we just, we feel guilt, right? And what happens when we feel guilt is that we get on overdrive. It's just, it, 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 it turns us to shame. We don't like the feeling of guilt, and so generally when we feel guilt, when we feel like our behavior is out of alignment with who we wanna be, we go to shame, and shame is about hiding. Shame is about getting away from the feeling. Researchers say that there's three primary ways we respond to shame. We move away from it, we move toward it, or we move against it. Brene Brown calls these shame shields. So, I don't like how I feel right now. That's why we're having this moment on purpose. I don't really like how I feel right now, so I've got a few options, and if I start not liking how I feel, and I start feeling bad about myself, There's a couple of different things I can do. One is I could just tune out right now and be like, this isn't for me. I'm not listening. That's move away. The other is I could be like, I'm an actual terrible person. I always knew I was a terrible person. And now Nicole has confirmed once again that I am in fact a terrible person. Like I don't even deserve, you know, you you get that going. That's moving into it. That's actually like diving into shame. We can move against it. And we're like, this is always what happens in the church. They love to condemn us. I don't know why, you know, we, 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 will, we will push against it. And I just want to name all this stuff because I'm like, this is totally normal. You guys, this is totally normal. This is what happens with guilt. This is what happens when we try to shield ourselves against these, like, yucky feelings. And so we go, it's very easy to go this direction, and yet we've got to wrestle through a passage where Jesus is stay, saying very, very strongly, I'm telling you that you, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. And, and you've got to strengthen what's in there. You've got to repent, you've got to turn back, you've got to get your deeds in alignment. Like, What do we do with that? Because no wonder we don't want to engage it as if it's for us, because we get all of these like feelings that don't feel good. And depending on who we are and how we've moved through the world, we we end up being sort of on this side of like, I, I just don't want to be a part of something where we're just piling on the guilt. And here's the crazy thing. Guilt puts us to sleep. Guilt puts us to sleep to what's actually going on in us. So it's actually doing the very thing that Jesus said not to do. He's like, do not go to sleep to your reality. I want you to wake up and wake up about what the kingdom of God is doing around you and how you can be a part of it. And yet we're like, gosh, this feels like a harsh message. Like, can you imagine just saying to someone next to you, like, I just, you, you, you act like you're alive, but you're so dead. You know, we just, we wouldn't, that's, that doesn't feel loving, right? It just doesn't feel like what we wanna hear. And so it's important when we go to engage this for ourselves that we're able to put this into the right category. I was running this week and I was thinking about this message and I just had this I just had this thought and I was like okay I want you to picture if you came in to Hill City one morning and you were a little early so there was more open space and you saw an adult who was comforting a crying child. You just walked in and you didn't know what was going on but there was a crying child and an adult comforting the child like rubbing their back near them right? Now I want you to imagine that you walked in on that same scene and it was an adult just beating the back of a kid super hard. Like you just walked in there like shaking the kid and beating them and it turns out the kid was choking. Is one of those more loving than the other? Is it more loving to comfort a crying child or to help a child who's choking? Obviously, they're both loving, right? (laughs) They're both loving. One of them seems very urgent, right? And one of them, if you walked up on it, you'd be like, what is going on right there? It doesn't stop the fact, though, that's loving. So we have to understand that when we engage with conviction, with guilt, with what God's drawing us to and calling us to, he's not doing it, even if it feels harsh. It's not not coming from a place of love. In fact, we should see it as a place where we need to pay attention because it must be urgent. It it just must be so urgent that we understand these messages because these are the places that Jesus is giving very, very, very strong words. And what's even crazier than that is a lot of times where Jesus is giving strong words is not maybe the things that we might think culturally would be the places. It's actually more stuff like this, like you got to align your inner life and your outer life. You gotta be all about the kingdom of God. Like It's different stuff that Jesus is making urgent. And he's certainly bringing us this urgent message and this message, I believe, is meant to move us toward conviction. Let's see what the scripture says. The passage goes on, it says, "'Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, "'for I have found your deeds unfinished "'in the sight of my God.'" This is a literal wake-up call. It's like Jesus is wanting to give us a wake-up call. Sometimes we talk about wake-up calls in relationship to physical health. Sometimes we talk about wake-up calls in our marriages or relationships where we realize we've sort of fallen asleep to what life is actually about. And maybe something happens in that relationship or something happens with our physical health and we're like, oh my gosh, I have been asleep to the reality of what really matters in life. And what Jesus is saying is spiritually, he wants to give us that same admonition. He wants to give us a wake-up call. This is his admonition to the church at Sardis, and I believe it is his admonition to the church in Richmond, and it's to wake up. Other translations would say become watchful. When Jesus says wake up, it's also translated become watchful about life, pay attention to life. So if we're going to pay attention and if we're thinking, okay, this message could be for me, like when I think about my cares, my inner life, my outer life, my deeds, my behaviors, and if God's not calling me to just become shameful about it and just ignore it or dwell in it or, or react against it, if I'm, going to, if I'm going to engage in it, what does it look like to become watchful? So let's talk about the difference between guilt and conviction. I just want to make you guys this little chart because I think this is a, a misunderstood concept. Like, okay, I'm accepted, I'm loved in God, I have an identity in Christ, but also I have a Jesus who says, I need to give you a wake-up call, so what do I do with that? So if it's guilt, if I feel guilt about these things, I'm gonna have an awareness of doing or believing that I've done something wrong. Okay, that, that, that in itself is not a problem. That's a, that's a good thing to have. If I have guilt, though, it's painful, it's distressing, it creates remorse, it creates shame, And a lot of times, it's all those shame shields that we just talked about. I'm going to move against it. I'm going to move toward it. I'm going to move away from it like it's not about me. Conviction is different. Conviction is a sense of realizing my behaviors are in misalignment with my beliefs. There's like like something that's not aligned when I think about who I see myself becoming or who I believe God is. Is calling me to become, which by the way is pretty clear in scripture. You don't have to like figure it out yourself. He actually is very, very clear about what that looks like to be a person of faith. Conviction creates concern, but it creates a desire to correct the misalignment. It, it, it doesn't feel like I've got to move against this. I got to move away from it. I'm a terrible person. You know what? You know what I'm a terrible person does, right? Paralyzes us, <laughs> it, it makes us do nothing. That's the actual result. It, we actually are moving away from what God's calling us to. It focuses primarily on the past when we feel that guilt. Conviction looks toward the future. Who I am now and who I want to be. What Jesus is saying to me now and what, Jesus, what I want Jesus to be saying about me. That's very different. It's a very different posture and outlook. Guilt can move us toward God. Again, I, I'm, I'm not saying like when we realize that our behaviors are out of alignment with who we want to be, that is guilt. God says he's here to remove our guilt, but that comes because we repent, because we confess, because we realize it, right? But but guilt can also move us away from God when we get stuck in it, when we dwell in it, when we we live in this, like, trying to figure out what to do with this, because we all gotta deal with it in some way or another. But conviction moves us toward God. Conviction says, oh, this is a loving God who's giving me an urgent message and inviting me into something in my future. This is what watchfulness looks like, waking up, paying attention. And here's the really good news. This is an Anglican theologian. He said, weakness with watchfulness will stand when strength with too much confidence falls. So what we're not saying is, oh wow, you're a terrible person. I can't believe if I saw your inventory, if you were honest about your care numbers, wow. No, actually it's like, oh, I realize my weakness. I realize my deficit, I realize the places where I wanna become more like Christ and I'm not. You know, uh, Dave and I just moved to the fan last year with our family, any fan, any fan neighbors here? Yeah, a few, all right. Oh, we're, we're a very quiet bunch, we're like. So, in the fan, we love the fan, we love living there and those, my friends in the fan, my neighbors in the fan may have realized like there's, just, there's an increase in displaced people, increased homelessness and dave and i were running a, like a day and a half ago and we ran by and we we literally ran by a guy who was either passed out or asleep like on the sidewalk and i i didn't really even look at him and and i got like four blocks away and i'm like man what's happening in me like this is a conviction what's happening in me that i could pass like a real living human being who might like actually be in trouble and not even think about it Just not even look them in the face. Like, I I don't want to be that kind of person, right? So so that's what conviction feels like. Conviction is like, oh, I'm realizing that I'm having a misalignment with who I want to be and who I actually am, and and actually I'm pretty weak at this. I, I need a lot of help with this, and it's pretty rigorous. It takes a lot of effort and energy to care about the things that God cares about. Conviction looks different than guilt. Here's three examples that i love for us to breeze through from the Gospels that I absolutely love. Okay, these might be stories that you know. John chapter four, what does conviction look like with the woman at the well? This is a story about Jesus' earthly life. Jesus sits down at a well, a woman comes up to him, they start a conversation. That would have been really weird in the first place, very scandalous that Jesus is talking to a woman and they get into this back and forth And during this back and forth, Jesus reveals to this woman that he knows way more about her than she probably would've wanted him to know. She's going back and forth about worship, she's arguing about the church, and he's like, why don't you get your husband? And she's like, I don't have a husband. And he's like, that's right, you've had many husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Now we're not gonna get into the cultural ramifications of how she got there, that's not important. What's important to know is that Jesus was able to identify with her what her actual inner life was. Now in this moment where this woman is with Jesus and he reveals to her who she really is and who he really is, because he invites her in and says, I have living water. And look at what she does. After having this engagement with conviction, she leaves her water jar, she goes back to the town and says to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And and they came and followed her. She took action, her conviction led her to action. And the action was actually making her more her own like authentic self. It was like, look at who I really am and what's happened. This passage goes on, by the way, to say that many, many people believed in Jesus because of her testimony. How about this one? You know this one maybe from vacation Bible school or Sunday school, yeah? Zacchaeus, maybe you know, he was a wee little man. (laughs) Zacchaeus climbs up a tree because he's short. He wants to see Jesus coming by. People scoff at him. He had a rep also. And Zacchaeus, like, Jesus is like, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna go to your, like, Come on, I want to go to your house. I'm gonna eat with you. And the people around are like, Can you believe that Jesus wants to eat with this sinner? Like he is slimy. Like he is the ambulance chaser, personal injury, like lawyer of the day. That's how I think of him. I think of him as Saul Goodman. Like I picture it, like that's what's happening, right? He's in a purple suit. And I just I feel like he's like, and 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 Zacchaeus's response to Jesus' invitation. The conviction in his heart is, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. It's just conviction. It just drives toward action, and when I read these passages, they're so energetic. They're so full of like life and love. The response is an expansion of God's kingdom. It's not like, oh, look, I'm such a terrible person. I just realized how horrible I am. No, Zacchaeus is like, can you believe I've been invited to sit with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to be in his presence, to be in a communion? And because of that, I want to get my life in order. I want to get my behavior in order with what and who this person is. That was very much a Nicole translation, by the way. That stuff doesn't actually happen in this passage, but I think that was happening. Finally, here, John chapter 8. This is a woman caught in adultery. She's brought before Jesus. The teachers of the law are trying to catch Jesus in like anything they can find. They do not like what's happening with Jesus. And so they ask Jesus, what do you say to this woman who's clearly been caught in adultery? And Jesus just bends down on the ground. He starts drawing on the ground. We don't know what he draws. We don't know what he writes on the ground. And he looks around at these guys. He stands up for this woman. He says, anyone who's without sin, throw the first stone. This is one of the most interesting passages, that the fact it says that the people went away one by one, the oldest first. Like, Lord, help us be people who, as we get older, realize who we really are. You know what I mean? And so these guys go away, and Jesus looks at this woman, and he says, who, who here condemns you? And she says, no one. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Like, we should all as believers have this memorized. You should have this memorized. This is the Jesus that you should hear speaking to you. Every time you feel that guilt, every time you're like, ugh, 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 my life's not in alignment with who I want to be. I want you to hear Jesus saying to you, and neither do I condemn you. Now go and do something about it. Like, go and leave your life of sin. This isn't about your identity in me. This isn't about your salvation. This isn't about me being with you, me loving you. This is me loving you enough to say, go and live that life that I'm calling you to. Amen? And we don't know what the woman here did. With Zacchaeus and the woman at the well, we know kind of the results, right? With this woman, we don't know how she responded to the invitation, just like I don't know how you'll respond to Jesus' invitation, just like I'm not sure I always respond to Jesus's invitation either. I feel like this is Jesus's constant invitation to us. Hey, 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 neither do I condemn you. I know you're struggling with that thing. I know you feel like that pattern's been there forever. I know you're, you're trying, to get your, trying to get a handle on your, your generosity or your greed. You're trying to get a handle on your fear or your anxiety. I know you're trying to do those things and I want you to hear me say neither do I condemn you. You are not condemned in those things. Jesus isn't tired of you. He's not frustrated with you, but that doesn't change the fact that when a kid is choking, you hit them on the back really hard. You don't snuggle with them and and hold them because you're like, no, they need more than that, right? And so, if you don't know a God who sometimes will speak strongly into your life, I want to encourage you to start listening because <laughs> otherwise, you're just making a God in your own image who's always sort of your like, you know, your like snuggly comforting friend. When Jesus of Revelation, who is majestic, who is holy, who is still the same Jesus who says, neither do I condemn you. But he also says, go and leave your life of sin. He also says, hey, strengthen what remains. Like, you, you were alive and you're you're headed the wrong direction. Like, strengthen what's there. Hold fast to what you know. Hold fast to the gospel. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Strengthen what remains. Anybody here training for the marathon or the half marathon? They're probably not here. They're probably running right now. But if you have ever trained for a race, if you've ever trained for a marathon, or if you've ever even, like, started running, you know that when you start running, it actually feels terrible. Like, you just, you feel like you're going to die. Like, if you've ever, re- like, if you run an interval, like, I made the mistake of running with my daughter. She's like, I'm going to go out and run sprints. I can't remember if I told you guys this. It was one night on Floyd Avenue. We're running sprints. People are slowing down to, like, cheer me on. They're like, you got it. I'm like, no, I don't. She's running three times faster than me. This is embarrassing. But you know that feeling? You feel like your heart's gonna pound out of your chest. You feel so bad, like it's hard. You know what that does, right? That strengthens our heart. The way that you strengthen your heart is you put it under stress. You get to the end of that stress and then you, then you let it recover and your heart gets stronger. So when Jesus is calling us to strengthen what remains, it is going to be uncomfortable. I made you feel uncomfortable on purpose. Not so that you would stay there, but so you can recognize, oh, this thing of feeling uncomfortable, of of noticing that I could run by a person made in the image of God and not think twice about it. Like, that uncomfortable feeling spurs us. It can, it can spur you to action. It can spur you on in goodness and love because that's what God is calling us to do. The world is desperate for you to be a person who is pursuing Christlikeness because our world needs it. We need to be people of forgiveness and of grace and of generosity that are different. And that's what God is calling us to. He's calling it to us with urgency. This is the conclusion of the passage. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. This idea of being worthy, for they are worthy, dressed in white, like this is the encouragement, right? There are always those among you who are still pursuing righteousness. You can be one of them. They are worthy. Look at this word worthy here again. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, sometimes urging, right? You to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. This word worthy means match it up. Matching up. These are people who are matching up their inner lives and their outer lives. That's all it means. It just means that we're people who are pursuing authenticity. We're okay with being uncomfortable. We're allowing that suffering to strengthen us. We're stretching to that point where we say, oh, that's what conviction feels like. I'm gonna invite Shaq up as we get ready to close. I wanna just give you a second to think, because I know that when we think about guilt, when we think about conviction, I don't know exactly what that's about in your life, right? The Holy Spirit knows what that's about in your life. Your Father in heaven knows what that's about in your life. Conviction is about realizing that our behaviors don't match our beliefs and wanting to move toward that, moving toward that in the future, not dwelling on it in the past. So how do we do it? How do we grow in conviction? Here's my last thought for you, something you might think about this week. I want you to remember to focus on the who, not the what. Focus on the who, not the how. Psalm 25, 15 says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Scripture doesn't say, My eyes are on the net that's got me tangled, and maybe God will come rescue me. First, I'll try to work my way out of this net. It Actually, Scripture says, No, my eyes are on the Lord, for as my eyes are on the who, he will untangle me from this net. If I will allow myself to stay uncomfortable, if I will allow myself to stay in that place and be like, Lord, I feel the mismatch. I feel the mismatch between who I am and who you might be calling me to be. I'm gonna keep my eyes focused on you. And as I do that, you yourself will call me forward. You yourself will untangle the net. You yourself will show me what it looks like today to be a person who's just moving one step closer to living out Christlikeness. One step closer to remembering, to repent, to hold fast, to be strengthened, to be strong in the gospel, because the gospel works. Let's pray. Father in heaven, wherever we are, Today in our journey with you, we want to care about what you care about. We don't want to we don't want to overcare about what's not important, Father, and we just we just don't want to undercare about what clearly is what matters to you. But God, our, our hearts are complicated places, and there's things that we can't untangle ourselves, Father. So I pray right now, even as we receive this message, that our eyes would be on you, Lord Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our eyes would be on you, trusting you to speak into our lives, trusting you to bring your words of encouragement, comfort, and yes, of conviction, so that we might honor you with the way we live, the way we feel, the way we think, Father, bring us into alignment with you just a little more this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks you guys for being with us today. It's been great. We've got a few more weeks left in the series. John will be back next week. A couple of things before we head out for the week. First of all, we're always so grateful for your generosity. Your consistent giving is what keeps us here. Keeps us doing the ministry that we're doing out into the city and beyond. So thank you for that. And then the other thing is that we have a, a focus of the week. And this week our focus is on our people of color experience. So if you are a person of color, we want you to know that we have an opportunity to gather for conversation, for perspective. It really matters to us, our heart and our desire is to be a truly diverse church. So if you'd like to stop on the way out on the right-hand side, you can um, listen in right there and find out more there. Um, And if you're new with us, we also have a place for you guys to stop and hang out. So please hang out. We made a little more time between the services so you don't have to rush out. You can hang out, say hi, meet somebody new, and we will see you guys next week.